specifically when I go on bushwalks, it's the thing that stands out to me the most. And in terms of the sonic environment, it's it's what my ear latches onto as a musician. I hear the melodies in the bird calls. And so on bushwalks, I would just hear the sound and I would just find myself humming them along and um, singing them between like the rhythmic steps of my feet and just find myself getting hooked on these melodies um, that these birds were making and just very intrigued by them from a musical perspective. Ingrid Nielsen is explaining why bird calls feature so heavily in the piece of music you're hearing now. Ingrid took the bird songs and notated them, making them into a legible form, and used this to compose original music. So the music follows the melodies of the birds. By doing this, she aims to show humankind as within nature and not separate from it. I'm Josh Green, and on this episode of Think Sustainability, we're listening deeply to the world around us. When we really pay attention, what do we hear? And when we use our ears to connect with our surroundings, are we able to get closer to them? At that point, are we able to care more? My name is Ingrid Nielsen and I'm originally from the Blue Mountains and currently living in Wollongong. Um, just finished studying my creative arts degree at Wollongong University and um, I'm a musician. I'm a vocalist and I play piano and guitar. The piece Ingrid's made, titled Senescence, was her final work for her degree. This project that I have made throughout the duration of this semester was based upon notating bird calls and using melodies and um, like the rhythmic contours of bird calls to make a musical piece. So it, it fuses my musical personality with sounds of the bush and it's basically just using the environment as a muse and focusing on attention to detail in a musical way. So I spent a lot of my time sitting in the bush and listening to bird calls and would close my eyes and um, hum in response to the sounds that I was hearing and kind of um, continue on the melodies that I heard. And I would walk out the melodies and I would make some songs up on the walks and was just kind of like trying to fuse my bushwalks with um, my musical style because we were in lockdown and the daily walk was my only tie of sanity, basically. So it was kind of, yeah, a little vice that I used to... I wanted to connect it with throughout this project just because it felt like a real saviour throughout the year. Ingrid's a lifelong musician. She finds a way to extract a rhythm from any situation. And over the years, like many in her generation, she's become increasingly concerned about the world we live in, the disastrous effects of global heating and what we could possibly do to avoid some of them. 
So it's a natural fit that her music now has the world she's desperate to save within it. Um, yeah, so I just used like a Zoom recorder, handheld recorder, and just collected samples of bird calls and um, rain and like the crunching of leaves and plopping rocks into water. And yeah, just experiment with different sound textures and the way that they reacted with different materials. So um, a lot of the recordings were sampled from dawn choruses in the Blue Mountains near my parents' home in Hazelbrook. So that was on Darug and Gundungara land. Yeah, I found a bigger variety of bird calls up there than in Wollongong, especially because I got a lot of highway sounds near my house in Wollongong. So I was originally interested in kind of fusing the idea of acoustic ecology with my music of practice. So I've been researching into acoustic ecology and really like the idea of identifying the health of an environment through the sounds that we hear. So I just found out about that, read some books about um, how like different animals and insects evolved to uh, operate within the sonic landscape, soundscape. I found these concepts really interesting in regards to the work that I was making. And it was the main driver behind the piece is the attention to detail, which I was focusing on both musically and through understanding these concepts in acoustic ecology, just mindfully being aware of our environments and the sounds that we don't always hear, but always exist and have operated to communicate with one another. Acoustic ecology, the thing inspiring Ingrid and guiding her practice, deserves explanation. Ecology, first, is the study of living beings and their relationships to their environments. Acoustic ecology looks at the acoustic environment, or soundscape, and its effects on the behaviour of the creatures living within it. This is how Murray Schaefer, one of the field's leading scholars, defined it in 1977. For Schaefer, the aim of acoustic ecology is to draw attention to the imbalances in these relationships that could have unhealthy outcomes. I wanted to convey the importance of soundscapes and listening to the detail in the natural world and how we're destroying our soundscape. And by like elevating these sounds that have elevated me, I figured that I would be able to convey a message of like urgency for the natural world and the sounds in it. In the debate for conservation, I think that um, the importance of soundscapes get missed and that's what I wanted to convey in my piece. One of the things I noted when I first listened to Senescence was the absence of lyrics. Yeah, so there was an intention to not use any, very little lyrics throughout the piece just to challenge myself to use my voice in a way that I hadn't and to see if I could convey what I wanted to without using lyrics. Sometimes I feel that the lyrics are a distraction in the piece and the voice is an instrument outside of that that can be used. So there's a lot of vocal harmony and there's a lot of different sounds that I experimented with Working with a vocal teacher, she um, told me how to think about how vowels sound and how different phrases and sounds sound coming out of your mouth and 
different ways in which you can use your mouth to sustain their sounds or make them kind of create a different feeling than a word could. So this was my aim, yeah, specifically with the piece to also like mimic kookaburra sounds and the sounds of birds because there was, yeah, there was no way I was going to make an actual bird sound. So I had to use the tools in which I was given. I put it to Ingrid that she was like a lyre bird in reverse, listening to the songs of birds, learning them, and then repeating them back. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'm just mimicking the bird that mimics us. So there's a few different components. The piece as a whole aims to tell a story, but not hold a lot of compositional repetition. So I, want it, I wanted it to evolve and change. But throughout the composition, there's always the element of the bird sound. So the birds will follow us until the end. It's mostly a vocal-based piece, and this is why I wanted the birds to continually follow us as well, is because they are the driver of the melody in which the vocals represent. Now I definitely, after this project, I listen a lot more, but it just naturally was what I was drawn to. For the last few years, at least, in the bush, I've just um, find myself getting hooked on these repetitions and um, find that they just stay with me longer than the walk does. There is this sort of long history of, um, especially within art music traditions, going back to particularly Murray Schaefer in the in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Uh, yeah, of, of recording the natural world, uh, of experimenting it, using it for compositional purposes. And so, yeah, it very much uh, resonated, I think, with, with that sort of tradition. I really like the music personally, from a sort of aesthetic uh, point of view and uh, yeah, and, and really evocative. Brent Keogh is a lecturer in music and sound design at the University of Technology, Sydney. Something it did bring to mind uh, to me is that whole sort of question about, um, uh, and, and it's a big question in eco-musicology and um, in eco-criticism more broadly, is that relationship between nature and, and the human. Uh, and what constitutes the natural world. Should we even use that uh, term uh, nature at all? Uh, should we actually be trying to get away from it? Which, um, yeah, a lot of scholars, particularly sort of second wave uh, eco-critics are trying to encourage that move away from using nature as a, as a point of reference. The 
most of the sounds we hear, and I think this is one of the big points that Murray Schaefer made, that most of the sounds we hear, we experience them as just kind of background noise now. There was an experiment that he used to, uh, or was trying to get into schools. It was a listening exercise where you'd tell kids or we'd ask kids, okay, can you list five sounds that you liked today and five sounds that you disliked today? And how many people could actually, you know, consciously go, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that noise and that that was really disturbing. I didn't particularly like that. Or I remember hearing that noise and just thinking, wow, that's a beautiful sound. The average person probably isn't thinking that hard about what they're hearing. A normal approach to sound might be to listen out for what we need to hear or what we want to hear. But this means we're leaving out a lot of the other things that are out there making noise, all of the stuff that we could hear. I think that our relationship to sound tends to be more this, it's ambient, it's unconscious, uh, and it's actually, I, I think it's quite often quite disturbing, particularly in urban uh, contexts. So I can think of, there's quite a few scholars who have done uh, research on uh, low-frequency noise and low-frequency noise build-up, particularly in um, city circumstances, and how a sort of biological reaction within us uh, is that with low-frequency noise, we tend to think, you know, the simplistic view of this is, hey, there's something big chasing me. We, we think of those, uh, those rumbles of a, of a large creature or we think of thunder and we immediately, yeah, we immediately think, you know, that's flight or fight. This experience of sound, far from making us feel more connected to the world around us, makes us want to switch off or yearn to get away from it. When you're in a sort of city um, circumstance and the architecture of the city is actually reinforcing low-frequency noise, it creates this sort of underlying anxiety. I think that that's probably one of the more dominant ways in which we experience uh, sound is actually this kind of like it's anxiety-inducing uh, in, in our everyday sort of experience. And we try to escape it by like, I don't know if you've been doing this during lockdown, but, you know, going on bushwalks and uh, I know heaps of people have been trying to get out. It's, I guess it's the equivalent of what they do in Japan. They call forest bathing. I don't know if you've heard of forest bathing. But it's like you basically go out into a forest and try and spend a huge amount of time in there and it actually has material benefits for your, for your body. Yeah, I think we've been trying to think of nature as this place of escape uh, from the sounds of, that we produce. The idea that we can escape to nature, like it's somewhere else that isn't here, is a widespread phenomenon. But Brent says we have to reckon with the fact that the natural world is everything. So wherever you are right now hearing this, your surroundings, a car, an office, your bedroom, is nature. If that makes us feel uncomfortable, then we may want to create a split. The things we do as humans are unnatural. And nature is a point of difference to that. And I think that that, that idea of nature as a place of escape also feeds into that. What are we escaping from? We're, we're escaping from ourselves, you know, we're escaping from what we're doing to the, to the natural world. And I think the lyrebird is a good example of where that binary kind of breaks down. One of the things that it does is it collects sounds from wherever it can and then reproduces them for... I mean, David Attenborough would say for the purposes of mating, but I think that maybe animals are a little bit more complicated than we give them credit for. Perhaps he just likes the sound of a, uh, <laughs> of a, uh, of a chainsaw. But I do think it is a really disturbing, yeah, soundscape for us to hear the, to hear the lyrebird imitating all these different species 
and then all of a sudden to hear the sound of a chainsaw, which we associate with destruction uh, and deforestation, that's a really disturbing sound for us. It's a disturbing um, image that it conjures. Yeah, it's, it's disturbing for us because we want to have this pristine nature out there that's untouched by humans, but it's, it's not the case. Why do you think that sound or music is a powerful way to make us relate to the world around us? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I think one of the things, and this actually this is something that is picked up by, this is maybe a little bit of a side angle, but I'm a big fan of uh, Tolkien. And uh, C.S. Lewis actually makes this point as well. One of the benefits of fantasy is to actually defamiliarise ourselves. So Tolkien talks about... Uh, using fantasy not to escape from reality but to escape in it to see the world more as it actually is Um, and I think that we can use sound to do a similar thing Uh, I think that we can use sound to defamiliarize the ways in which we normally experience the world so we were talking earlier about how our normal experience of sound and noise is that it's it's background it's unconscious Maybe it's even something that we want to suppress. But doing things like um, soundscape composition or going on sound walks, uh, those kinds of things can actually defamiliarise our scopophilia. It can defamiliarise the scopophilia um, where we privilege eyesight as the primary sense over your other sort of senses and actually, yeah, actually experience the world in a, in a completely different way. And for me, I think the exciting thing about that is, is what promised that that holds, what, what hope that um, that could possibly provide. If you can see the world differently, perhaps you will relate to it differently. Perhaps you'll uh, think about the ethical relationship between yourself and the natural, oh, sorry, I shouldn't use nature, but yourself and the non-human um, world uh, in, a, in a completely different way. If we have the space to listen closely, listen intently and pay attention to the world around us, we can learn something about how we fit into it all. It can be as simple as recognising our position within our environments, a piece of the puzzle in nature and not a separate entity. Or we can be transported to our bushland, like Ingrid does for us, to highlight the destruction and make a record of the species we're harming directly. It's a profound way to use these recordings because uh, we know that biodiversity loss is... It's one of the most tragic realities of the past century and species lost. So to be able to capture, you know, the sounds of these animals that who knows if they're going to be around in, in another 50 years time or no. In some ways, we're, we're documenting uh, our own demise, if you're thinking about it in a tragic sort of way. But it's, I think it's also important in terms of environmental justice, because these are the species that we're killing. Um, these are the species that we're responsible for in terms of the power that we have over them and the power that we're exercising. And for Ingrid, her work is far from over. Now she's done with uni, there's music to be made and so many places to go. Well, I'm planning a big trip next year to go um, to far north Queensland and record environments. And... I think I will just continue to make music that is tied in with nature and continue to use the natural world as a muse until I decide what master's course I want and which way I want to 
direct the next trajectory, but just continue to make music. I feel like this piece opened up a door and there's a lot to explore. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. Ingrid's going to take us out now with the rest of her piece, Senescence. I'm Josh Green. Thanks for your company.